Welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so that people who need social work get the help that will transform their lives. I'm Jo. And I'm Jerry, and welcome back to Series 4. Last podcast, we talked about social work in older age. And for this second podcast of the month, we are looking at another big issue uh, to consider it from a social work point of view. Uh, last month was populism. And this month is going to be technology or technological advances. Um, so thank you very much for listening and for liking us on Facebook and sharing us on Twitter. And thank you particularly to people who've left reviews on iTunes. Uh, it's helped to make us more visible. So if anyone can do that, that's really useful. It brings us higher up the search list. And I also wanted to say a particular thank you to Tori, who contacted me on Twitter and said that she found the podcast really informing and helpful because she was considering a change of career. Oh, to social work? Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. We need more great social workers. Yeah. Always. And we now have a book. We do. So hopefully people have spotted that if they've been going to our website, www.helpfulsocialwork.com. There's now a section that says books. And if you go in there, you'll see our first one, which is on integrity and context. Mm. I think it's really exciting, actually, I've got to say. So do tell us what you think. And you can do this by visiting our website, www.helpfulsocialwork.com, or by commenting on iTunes or Spotify. Jerry? Yes, because we are getting on Spotify now as well. Well, there we go. We are we sophisticated users of technology. Hey? <laughs> and talking of technology, um, we should start off with a definition as usual, because technology is what we're going to be talking about this week. And as Jerry says, it's not so much that we're an expert in this. In fact, you could describe me as a bit of a clunky technology user, but it's that we're interested in exploring these issues, particularly from a social work point of view. So the definition, the study and knowledge of the practical, especially industrial use of scientific discoveries or the method of using scientific discoveries for practical purposes, especially in industry. And I really like these meanings as I think they go straight to the heart of the matter, which is the practical application of science. And if you think about social work, that's really something that we do. You know, we use our understanding of human development and apply it practically to help people obtain the outcomes they want in their life. The thing with technology is that it has always been big business. If you can make something that can produce things to scale that people want, then you're kind of onto an economic winner. And the question for me is not can we make it and use it, but should we? Or how should we use it? Yeah. yeah. And in social work takes place in societies. Uh, it's work with people and we're constantly evolving, constantly developing our understanding and our tools in like the broadest sense. And it's really about how we use that growth in understanding. And I think that comes down to power which we'll talk about as we go along really so who is the technology for who owns it who controls it how is it used and joe found some really interesting um work around the the kind of power around um who the technology is for that uh, mustafa sisse wrote about which is saying that the um ai research artificial intelligence research community is focusing primarily on white people's problems um so we do need to think about what kind of problems are we trying to solve? What kind of things are we trying to do? Who actually can benefit from that? Um, and this is talking about 
the um, some of the issues that people face maybe in the global south not being the ones that technology is primarily being developed for but there is also mm. something that's made me think about is that as you develop technology for particular um, endeavors there are lots of wider benefits Definitely. Um, and potentially like um, drawbacks that you might not think yes. of but you know if you think about the space industry for example lots of um, things that are very useful not in space have developed through that so yeah. it's it's a lot more complicated and nuanced than um, but asking who it's for, who, who's, who's got the power is always a good question. I think so. And, you know, technology can change and shape society as we know it. Thinking about this from the, the sort of social work professional capabilities angle, there is a expectation in the capabilities framework for social workers in England um, that as part of our knowledge, social workers will consolidate knowledge and understanding of the opportunities and risks of new technologies digital resources, online communications, virtual environments and social media in social work. And there's also a kind of big picture set of ethics, which I found recently really helpfully set out in the um, Basware Human Rights Practice Guide, which has a section on technology and talks about the ways that they can be, you know, technology can be a force for good or not. So we'll talk about a range of these issues, but it's things about um, for example, the ability to communicate and have voice. But again, who has the voice? There's how we can um, kind of un understand and, and find out more about people. But also there's an issue of surveillance. There's uh, ways of upholding or imposing on human rights, I guess. And also mm. for us as practitioners, there's ways of helping us to learn um, and to work. But there's also we know from from research that there's real problems with social workers having the right tools for the job as well so it's yeah it's a, it's a really complicated issue and I think you were going to start off by talking around how humans and machines kind of work together yes um I was thinking about whether it was possible to have a constructive human-machine partnership in social care because I know that we started really, if you think about it, um, using information technology in children's social care to roll out the integrated children's system. And that has had its challenges and its benefits. <laughs> and the challenges have come out much more loudly than the benefits. And so I thought, okay, what is it that we would want technology to do in, in that regard? What would we want machine thinking and big data to do? Well, we'd want it to overcome bias and faulty thinking, to check and challenge decision making, and to collate street and community level data to inform casework, would we? I don't know, but you know, to bring together all the information we have to inform casework. What would we want machine thinking and big data to avoid? Curtailing leaps of intuition, overriding empathy and common sense, trumping the individual's lived experience with machine expertise and kind of having uh, having faults uh, programmed into the system that um, that that expose bias or um, using the tools for the wrong reason. So if you think about actuarial tools, they've been around for decades in certain fields, assessing criminality or credit risk. But the fact is that credit risk algorithms 
ensure that the wealthy do not lose their monopoly on finance and that people who do not have money usually can't get money. You know, jails are actually full of people that we predict will go to jail again, but we don't have a clearer strategy for how we manage to avoid that or to help stop a cycle of repeat offending. So sometimes these these predictive tools can predict something helpfully that we still can't solve. Does that make sense? Or, or that they're highlighting something that we perhaps already know or they might be even missing information that comes from intuition or emotion rather than from just a reading of, of the data. Yeah, and I think there's a really interesting ethical question about handing over to a machine. This came up actually in, in adult services when we started using um, assistive technology. So things like sensors in people's homes, whether mm. it was okay to uh, to replace kind of a human relationship um, and human observation and human response with a machine and it's mm. much broader than you know what what does the best job it's also there is a question about should a person be involved uh, so yes. I think I think this this issue of um, yeah how you how you combine um, data with judgment is a really mm. interesting one. There is actually people who are working on this at the moment, Jerry, and there's been a really um, interesting document from Nesta who um, contributes to the What Works Centre for um, Children's Social Care. And they talk about this approach called artifishing. Um, it's where a practitioner can be seen to be artifishing when they take the information provided by the tool into consideration. They combine that with their own judgment and then they come to a decision based on the synthesis of both inputs. So the human brings the empathy, the insight and the practice knowledge to the decision making process. And artificial recognises that while algorithms add breadth to a decision making, the human adds the critical depth. And I think that's really the key thing we were trying to get across there, wasn't it? Is that you have to have both the breadth and the depth. And if you don't, um, then really, I, th I think personally that it's probably not that ethical to use a machine and take the human out of social work services. Well, let's talk about the issue of uh, where the data comes from as well and mm -hmm. knowledge of, of how data is used and privacy issues, because that's something that you've, you've gone into a bit. It's, yes. it's something very current, isn't it? It's it's just so important, and it is very current because, of course, we've seen. Well, it, it's so current that it's um the matter um you know it's there's been um allegations about you know interference in both political and um, referendum type situations both here in um the UK and over in the US. But our notions of privacy, confidentiality, and autonomy, for example, have have really changed quite radically. Um, you know, Facebook and Twitter, we freely and willingly give out our personal information and we don't understand the potential uses of this data, really. Um, 
And for me, knowing as a social worker when we can use that, because certainly, um, and I don't know whether this is still a practice in some places, but there was a stage when I was working with some social workers, um, particularly when they were doing life story work, where they would go onto Facebook to see if the family members were there and if there were any photos that they could take to use in the story, in the life storybook for the children. Um, and I raised that as an ethical issue because I was surprised they were doing it because it wasn't with the adult's permission. Um, but because it was a public post and anyone could see that information, it was available to all and there's no law against it. Well, that's that's an interesting one. There's um, There's been some really good research just done by Birmingham University about use of Facebook by social workers, which doesn't conclude, but it does look at you how things would be used depending on your moral approach to it. So are you taking mm. a utilitarian approach and saying, well, you know, the welfare of the child is kind of paramount um, and in order to get the greatest good for the child, we would be happy to use whatever information we can. Or would you be taking mm. an approach which says human rights sort of trump everything and there's these principles and that means that we wouldn't violate someone's privacy no matter what? Or somewhere in between. And I went to a workshop on this at the Baswa conference last year and there was quite a wide spectrum of views actually and some of it I think was linked to uh, people's general comfort around Facebook. So mm. some of the people who are much more um, into using social media were much happier about looking on social media. But there is a definite issue of, of privacy and confidentiality and consent. And then there's an issue of well-being. But there's a, there's a bigger thing actually we were talking about, which was if you go looking without agreement, you can probably undermine the relationship with the family. So that Absolutely. makes it much more difficult. And then the other thing that, that kind of came up quite strongly was um, within police work, for example, there is a lot of information out there. There's a lot of surveillance out there. The police mm. aren't allowed to just go and look at it. They have to have mm. a reason and mm. they have to look at it proportionately. And so if yes. you think about those principles, an analogy that I find quite helpful is it would be, if you think of taking a look at someone's Facebook as similar to, taking a drive by someone's house back in the mm. days before we had Facebook you mm. might go and drive past a family's house if you thought that there was something going on that you were mm -hmm. concerned about right then and there and mm. you had sufficient cause to go and take a look mm. but you would just drive by once um, so it might be reasonable to look at someone's public Facebook account once with good reason it wouldn't be okay to go and sit outside their house or keep going past or peer through the windows and it's still and I think it wouldn't be okay to park yourself on someone's Facebook account or go checking it every day or check something routinely without reason so mm. well kind of I don't have a definite right or wrong answer about whether we should look or not I think it's a question of cause like mm. you know when, when what's proportionate um, and I do think there is a real problem with potentially undermining trust Absolutely. And I, I, th I think that's a nice way to think about it, actually, um, is, is you know, what, what are we doing this for and what do we hope to get from it? And what will be all the consequences? It's thinking about the intended and unintended consequences. And certainly now, 
there's a, there are threats to privacy posed by AI systems as a result of their design and the development process. You know, data is sometimes captured and extracted without gaining the proper consent. And quite a few countries, interestingly, Jerry, don't have the types of rules that we do. Um, and two of the countries that don't have a lot of protection rules, uh, China and the US. Yeah, and you've identified, as well as the privacy issue, kind of a range of other potential undesirable kind of consequences of having mm. lots of data on, on people. Yep. Absolutely. Um, there was, there, and these, a lot of this was, was taken from my research around this. And the first is bias and discrimination. Um, and this has kind of been highlighted by the Turing Institute. Um, and it talks about that because we gain our insights, because the machines are learning from the existing structures and dynamics of society, the society they analyze, then they can reproduce, reinforce and amplify the patterns of marginalization, inequality and discrimination. So unfortunately, we can um, be in a place where the machine is learning um, based on biased and discriminatory outcomes because the data being fed into the system is flawed from the start. I came across an example of this, actually, and I forget where, which is about um, facial recognition being racist because the mm. people programming found it easier to program around white faces. Yep. Yes, that I've, I've read that as well. So, you know, and there's and all of this stuff we need to be thinking about because this is creating, helping to create the society that we're all operating in. And these are things that we are concerned about as social workers, like as social workers, we're interested in, in societal structures um, being as fair and as equal and as equitable as they possibly can be. And so sometimes the data can actually have this stuff in it. Um, I'm really sorry. interested in this other consequence that you've identified, which is the one around accountability, which is the sort of the computer says no problem. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And this is where we give over our professionalism to a system um, and you see this a lot. Actually, you, you will have experienced this with banks and things like that when you're trying to do something that's not on the menu and they can't give you an answer because the computer says no. Um, and and in with the integrated children's system, a lot of what happened was that practice was driven by the process. And so when the computer put up the next form or the next bit of workflow, the social worker did that over the top of anything else they might have thought was more important to do for the child. And when they were asked why, they said, the computer told me. So there's a really, we really um, take strong cues from these systems. And if these systems are being designed and are learning themselves, then they're going to learn that we value what we do most of, yes, because that's where they're getting most of their information. And if we're prioritising it because the computer's telling us, then there's no correction, is there? Yeah, and the, the other area that we were going to talk about was, uh, again, going back to the relationship stuff, building on that idea of replacing people yeah. with machines, which... Yes. 
in some way, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because there was this promise that with more machines, there would be more time. And we also have this situation in social work where people are spending lots and lots of time with computers and not so much yeah. time in the field with people. Yep. So yep. it's quite mixed, isn't it? It really is. And I and I think that that's what we should be using robotics and artificial intelligence and big data for. We should be using it. Yes, I, I do think that it helps to check out, to sense check ourselves, but it should be a sense check, not a not a, a thing you have to do. And the other thing is that we want to be spending time with humans. Now, what they're doing is they're, of course, um, developing care bots. So I don't know if you've heard about um, the baby seal whose name is Paro, and he's been developed and used in Japan since 2003, and he's also used um, in America. And they're used with Alzheimer's patients. And they say that it's um, reduced patient stress and stress on the caregivers. It stimulates interaction between the patients and the caregivers, um, and it improves their relaxation and motivation. So... So that's interesting because that sounds like it's actually acting as a way of enhancing human interaction, not as strictly speaking as replacing it. That's that's exactly what the claim is. Um, and Kate Darling, she's a really interesting person to read up on and to kind of listen to her stuff because she's she's very um, she just this is her area of thinking about. But she talks about um, when the United States military began testing a robot dif that diffused landmines by stepping on them. The colonel in command ended up calling off the exercise because the robot was modeled after a stick insect with six legs. And every time it stepped on a mine, it lost one of its legs and it continued on the remaining ones. Um, and the colonel, he couldn't stand watching this burnt, scarred, crippled machine dragging itself forward on its last leg, and he believed that it was inhuman. And this is because we have a habit of um, attributing uh, feelings. It's um, anthropomorphism. You say it, Jerry, because you know these big words. It's anthropomorphism, yeah, which it is, is turning something into humans. And like anthropology and then morph. Did you have morph? A cartoon character made out of plasticine who changed shape? No? Okay. No, I did not. <laughs> you didn't have no. that in Australia. But it's that kind of thing, yeah. It's a social robot that is triggered to design that, to um to kind of um, – it's designed to trigger that um, interaction with humans on a social level. So that social robots are, specific, are specifically designed for that and to evoke that sense um, in that, humans. Yeah. I mean, it sounds to me as if there's a sort of tentative theme here, which is that probably both of us would say technology can really enhance the human endeavour of social work and it can really support it and mm. um, the enable human endeavor it of life. and it doesn't replace it. No. I think that's exactly right. If we can find ways to help people live a high-quality life with less loneliness and confusion and distress, and we can use technology to, for instance, um, improve their health and their, their well-being. And I think, um, you know, last week one of my staff came in to me and she said, do you want to hear the best thing ever? And I said, yeah, tell me the best thing ever. And she said, they, they're they able to 
replace the human heart now. They've started putting in artificial hearts and they're probably going to be available widely in about a decade. And she was absolutely delighted because, of course, she needs a new heart. So she's on the transplant list and this for her means that actually she might have a a chance because we don't have enough human-to-human hearts to go about. So, yes, technology can be amazing. I think that um, use of data can be good if it is done proportionately and very ethically. I think we've got a long way to go with that. I think that care bots can be useful if they are allowing more time for human-to-human interaction and increasing the quality of that human-to-human interaction. You know, to be honest, I think if we bring this back to, do we, we always do this, don't we? If we bring this back to social work ethics, mm. human rights, if technology is enhancing human rights or helping us manage conflicts between them potentially, great. Mm. If, um, you know, then the social justice, justice, if it's helping to raise quality of life so there's more equality um, and it's trying to give power to the powerless and, you know, redress some of those power imbalances, that's great. And then professional integrity, if we're using it openly and transparently and purposefully with consent, then it's it's good too. Mm. But if it well, undermines un- those ethics, then we're, we're in trouble. Yeah. The United Nations has actually started to develop um, seven values for responsible development for AI well-being, autonomy, justice, privacy, knowledge, democracy, and responsibility. And sorry, that's from UNESCO AI. Um, and I think that that's, that's a really good place to start. And then the Alan Turing Institute has also um, developed an ethical framework, fair, accountable, sustainable, safe, and transparent. Yeah. So... If we were thinking of, ethic, of reflective questions to ask about this. Yes, I, th- I think in the end, I just kind of thought maybe it's just a bit like when you um, when you think about things before you say things out loud. Is it is it true? We can swap that out for is this helpful? And then I think we should ask, is it necessary? Because I, d- I do think with anything that we do with people who are in need of extra care and assistance at a time, we should always be asking how much do we, should we do, yeah? Is it necessary to do these things? Because sometimes you do things just because you can. And, and then the last question for me is, well, is it kind? Mm. Well, that would encompass the idea of, of being respectful and upholding people's dignity. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's those are really good questions. Thank you very much, Joe. That's my pleasure, Jerry. I think it's a really, you know, this. I love this topic, um, and I just really encourage all social workers out there to think about getting involved in the development of of data sets and being involved in the ethics of how we use AI. Because I think at the moment, a lot of the people who are deciding how technology how um, machine learning and that stuff will be developed uh, come from a very specific background 
and I think having more social workers, uh, psychologists and more human-orientated professionals would be really, really useful.